Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 256 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Wednesday, December 1st. No, it's December 2nd. It's already December 2nd. It was December 1st, a whole day ago, 2020. Guys, episode 256, that is a power of two. We haven't had one of those in half of this podcast's life ago. I don't know if that if that joke landed at all. Nerds! But- hey, it's math. <laughs> Did you guys know I went to engineering school? <laughs> I am Sam Klein. I went to engineering school, which is exciting. I don't remember any of it, but I do remember what happened in the Duke-Michigan State game last night, unfortunately. I'm here to talk about it with my partners in crime, as always. Donald Wine is here. Donald, how are you after that deflating loss last night? I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. It was supposed to be a nice little belated birthday present for me, and they didn't give me one. So we'll just have to wait for uh, Bellarmine on Friday. That's right. I'm sorry that you couldn't enjoy that as a, as a birthday gift. Jason Evans is also here. Jason, you, are you feeling recovered? Yeah, I guess. I mean, look, Coach K was 12-2 and two against Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo, one of the greats in this game. And Duke was 12-2 and two against him. You can't look at 12-3 and three against one of the top programs in all of college basketball and go, Ugh, I can't believe we're 12-3. and three. So, uh, you know, we were bound to lose to him at some point. I'll take a meaningless early season game for that loss. Seeing I'm we glad. play them in the tournament all the time as well. <laughs> I'm glad that that was your throwaway because I was about to ask you guys if Coach K, after going 11-1 and against Michigan State in his first 12 tries, is 1-2 and since. Does Coach K have a Tom Izzo problem? But I don't think that's going to be the I case. I don't think so. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Duke lost to Michigan State at Cameron Indoor Stadium last night, 75 to 69. The Crazies were not in attendance, but Tom Izzo and the Spartans were. They showed up in a lot of the ways that I think we predicted them to, even though we didn't all predict that Michigan State was going to win. We did, I think, tell you about how physical they were going to be, how effective their guards were going to be, how deep they were. And all of that and more kind of came to fruition for the Spartans alongside a pretty dismal performance on the offensive end for Duke. I think that's where I want to start. So Jason Evans, kick me off here. Talk to me about Duke's offensive woes and and what you think kind of the, the issue was last night as the rims appeared to be playing more defense than the Blue Devils did. Well, well look, uh, the first game, our issue was turnovers. And we cleaned that up to some extent in this game. We went from 22 down to 12, which is a good improvement. Um, 12... You know, it's not a great number, but it's not a bad number. Um, so we, we, we fixed one problem, but we found a new one, which is our shooting percentage. It, it, it took a late flurry when the game was essentially over. That's the only thing that kept Duke from shooting less than 30% from the field and less than 10% from three. I mean, throughout most of the second half, Duke was under 30% from the field and under 10% from three. That's... That's a huge problem. You're just not going to win many games like that. And we heard in the preseason that this was a strong outside shooting team. We really, we talked about it. We expected this Duke team to hit 35, 38, maybe 40% from three has not happened yet. If I can, I want to really quickly give you sort of some good stuff and then some bad stuff. I think this is not all bad. This was not a dismal performance. Um, the, the good stuff was I thought we played very strong defense, especially early on. I thought Duke, Duke was switching a lot. They were switching everything. And, uh, and even the guys who you would think have a challenge with that um, stayed in front of their man pretty nicely. Uh, I thought we worked really hard at the rebounding, which is always important against Michigan State. Um, and I love that we got back to attacking the basket. We talked in the first game 
uh, against Coppin State, Duke only had 10 free throws. We shot 30, 30 free throws in this game. And that's what we built our early lead on. But then Michigan State sort of stopped fouling us and the offense just died. Um, other good stuff, abundantly clear that Jamin Brakefield is solidly in the rotation for this team. I think many of us had him pegged as the 10th or 11th man coming out of the preseason. If we had done in the stats contest, if we'd asked how many minutes Jamin Brakefield will play this season, I bet all three of us would have taken a number less than 200, maybe less than 150. Uh, he, he, may, he may top 150 by the time we hit the end of this calendar year. Um, you know, really love his energy. He got a lot of run last night mostly because Jalen Johnson was in foul trouble. If we can find a way, I'm not sure it's possible just given their game styles, but if we can find a way to have both those guys on the floor together, I really think the energy would be interesting because they bring so much athleticism to the floor. I'm glad you brought up Jamin Brakefield because in the preseason, I think we were basing a lot of our projections on just discussion, right? It was what are, what are the players talking about? on social media and, and in the interviews, what are the coaches saying? And we didn't hear much about Jamin Brakefield. Honestly, the most we heard about Jamin Brakefield was when we t- were doing NBA draft preview because he happens to work out with Jason's friend who we interviewed to talk about other players. And that exactly. was just sort of a, a, a tangential item. And the, the takeaway from that, I think, was, hey, he's got, he's got good pedigree. He's, he's a hard worker, but we don't expect him to contribute much. All of a sudden, now two games into the season, he seems like one of the more important rotation pieces. And strangely, I think, at least to me, ahead of Henry Coleman and Mark Williams in in some ways. And that, of course, is going to be somewhat matchup dependent, somewhat matchup dependent, especially in the case of Mark Williams, who really can only be deployed against certain teams. But we've seen him, especially in the second half last night, make a lot of dynamic plays. So I did want to highlight that that one surprisingly positive item from Duke. Donald, I'll, I'll give it to you. What do you think? Uh, Jason mentioned how we fixed the turnovers, but the shooting was bad. Talk to me a little more about, about the offense here and, and in particular about the starters who between hurt more um, Joey Baker fouling out. He wasn't starting last night, but, but he didn't, he didn't even score and, and, and was able to, f- and, and fouled out of this game. What do you think about all that? Well, I think when it comes to those guys, they, you know, between Stewart, Moore, and Baker, they went 0 for 19. We can't have that from, you know, three important guys on the floor. It goes back to physicality. And, and I asked uh, Jordan Goldwire in the press, postgame presser about how that matched up to them and how difficult that was. And initially, like Jason said, I thought they did very well at, at matching that physicality that Michigan State always presents. These games are always physical. But in the end, it became a sense where we started – instead of going to the rack and going to the foul line, we were shooting fadeaway jumpers. We were shooting long three pointers. We were shooting bad three pointers. And I think when you have that, it really feeds into Michigan state's hands. And that's why it was really that from about six or seven minutes left in the first half until about uh, the first, you know, TV timeout in the second half, we went ice cold. We, you know, the lid was on the jar completely. And I mean, even last night, Scott Van Pelt was talking about how the rim sounded like it had bells in it because we were clanging rim all night. So those things among other things, but really that physicality led us to change our game a little bit. I don't know if it was something that they decided consciously to do, but when you start doing fadeaways and, and long jumpers, you're not getting to the foul line as often. Yeah, I think that's exactly true, Donald. And in fact, I mean, you know, you don't want to call out guys, 
but Jalen Johnson and Wendell Moore took some, some threes that were, you know, step back, uh, not, not in rhythm, not off a pass, you know, off the dribble. I, I don't think those are the guys. I don't think Jalen Johnson and Wendell Moore are the guys we want taking those shots. It wasn't just those two guys. I mean, look, we were missing wide open threes. I, Joey Baker, who I thought hustled. Joey Baker, who usually is not noted for his defense, dude had four steals. He was working hard on defense. That's great to see from him. You would say that's a key to Joey Baker getting playing time. But, but then suddenly... He can't hit. He, he, there was a time we had a rebound kicked out to him. He is an, an uncontested straight on three for a guy as good a shooter as Joey Baker. That should be an absolute no brainer that you should mark those points down. And, and he clanked it. We he had a hit. lot. We had a lot of those misses last night. Him, Stewart had several uh, again on rebounds or even just dribble drives and pass out where there was no one within 15 feet of them and they're airballing him. Yeah, and we were airballing's right. We were missing some threes where we we weren't even hitting the rim. So that's really bothersome. But one other thing I want to mention, um, and I, I hate to call guys out. I'm not calling him out. I want to be clear. Jeremy Roach is just a freshman. But we were destroyed at the point guard position last night. Rocket Watts of Michigan State, who is just a sophomore, had, had an outstanding game. He kept on getting Michigan State into their offense. He kept on creating opportunities for himself or for other players. Uh, Jeremy Roach did not do that at all for Duke. Um, and, and there are a lot of people who, who today are saying, it looks like Duke has a real point guard problem. Um, Jordan Goldwire, for all the, and I thought Jordan Goldwire played pretty nice down the stretch in the game. Um, for all that he brings to you uh, on the defensive end, he's just not going to be a creator on offense. He's not going to, initiate the offense other than passing to someone on a wing we need jeremy roach to be that guy for us and and it looks like he's not quite there yet and and i think the reason you saw duke shoot so poorly in this game was we were not getting into an offense we were not getting the shots we want because we couldn't initiate it from our backcourt that's that's a big problem that is something that is not going to be solved merely by shooting a little bit better i thought it was jason i I had the same kind of observation about Jeremy Roach that he hasn't really hasn't really astounded us in any way yet I think especially relative to the expectations for him he was I mean he didn't even start in the first game he and we heard so much we heard so much in the preseason about how good he was playing and and how dynamic he was going to be and and what a facilitator he was and so far it hasn't been there now there are a lot of reasons why that could be some of it is probably just game speed he's playing at a at a speed that he hasn't had to yet and is adjusting to that. And we can't at all this season underrate how difficult the preparation was going to be for, especially the freshmen this year coming into the season when they had this off season that that was upset by, by the pandemic situation. We don't know how much these guys were able to play together, how much development was able to go on. But I, I do think that's the the most disappointing thing for Duke is not just Jeremy Roach. I think it's really the the whole point guard and guard overall situation that doesn't seem to be sorted out yet. That that rotation is still coming together. So getting back to Jordan Goldwire for a second, Jason, I think you summarize what he does perfectly. He's very good on defense, but for his defensive, you know, acumen, his offensive limitations, you just don't know if it balances out. And to me, to to borrow an analogy from another sport that I love, soccer, he's our defensive midfielder. He's a guy that's going to collect the ball, he's going to pass it, but he's not going to be involved or a focal point 
of the offense. And because of that, you need an attacking midfielder. You need someone who's going to create. You need someone who's going to set up other guys and make them better. Uh, he can pass the ball to other guys and kind of get the offense flowing, but you need what the, the other guard to be that guy who's going to drive and create, who's going to be able to create his own shot on the wing or open up somebody else. And we didn't see that a lot last night. We did have nine assists on 20 shots on 20 made baskets, which is a pretty decent rate. That's almost 50%. But there were so many times where our misses were just, as Jason said, guys just trying to create their own shot from 30 feet away and doing like a step back three pointer or taking two steps and then shooting a 20 footer. That's not going to get the job done, especially when a team is as physical as Michigan state is in that rebounding battle. Initially we were holding our own with that, but as we keep, as we kept making or shooting those, you know, long three pointers that just created more opportunities for Michigan state to come down with more rebounds and run their offense. Hey, hey, and Donald, you talked about nine assists. I want to point out, like I said earlier, 12 turnovers, nine assists. Duke has got to switch that around. Uh, that We will not be a successful team unless we are getting more assists than turnovers. I, you know, I, I, yeah, I, there, are, there are other stats I love to talk about, but that's a huge one. This team has got to find a way to share the ball better and create better opportunities for, for each player. Otherwise, forget about it. it, it we're just not going to be successful if we are uh, negative in our assist-to-turnover ratio. It's interesting that, Jason, you pointed out Duke was able to cut down on the turnovers in this game, but I think that really undersells the number of mental mistakes that still came through that weren't necessarily turnovers, but end up looking like turnovers in the, in, in the box score, whether they're missed field goals, um, you know, bad rebounding timing, those kinds of things, all of that was, was present last night. So it says 12 turnovers, but it felt more like a game where Duke committed 18 or 20 of them. Donald, I did want to send it back to you because you were able to attend the post-game press conference last night with Coach K. Give us uh, some of the flavor from that and what he had to say about this game. Well, before I get to K, I'll, I'll briefly mention a couple of things that Jordan Goldwire and Matthew Hurt said. They were the two players that were also available last night. And with Goldwire, we talked about the physical the physicality and how that kind of affected their team. Uh, but he also said that when the lead grew from Michigan state midway through the second half, he felt that the offense was a little bit stagnant. He said, we weren't really moving as much as just a matter of working together to get the best shot we want. I just think we got a little stagnant. We weren't getting stops and kind of missing rebounds. It's just a team effort to be better, get the right shots and want to get shots. And Matthew Hurt said that same word stagnant about our offense and I think the fact that those two mentioned that was telling to me because when we get to coach K he kind of avoided that word stagnant he, he wanted to he, he basically said you never get all the shots you want to get when you get them around the bucket on drives or in post you want one of those three things you want to score you want to get fouled or you want to score and get fouled and we didn't get fouled that much after that first you know five to ten minutes of the game so I think when it comes to this team they they had some instances where they got complacent may not be the word stagnant may be the best word. I know coach K didn't really like that word, but it may have been the best word to describe the offense during that stretch at the end of the first half and beginning of the second half where Michigan state kind of ran away with it. So I listened in on the coach K press conference and, and I, I do want to note a couple other things he said. First of all, I think it's very interesting. Coach K was pretty upbeat. I thought, he was not down on this team at all. He said he felt much better about this game than he did our first game. 
Um, he talked a lot about the quality of the defense that Michigan State played and also the quality of the defense that we played. And he was impressed with that. We know he's a defense first guy. He also, he just could not stop talking about their experience versus ours. He said they knew how to be more consistent than us. I thought he had a great line. Um, he said it's a, it's a 10 round fight and you can't win if you only fight for seven or eight of those rounds. That is exactly what happened in this game. Duke, Duke controlled the game early. And by the way, Coach K pointed out that, you know, we controlled the first 15 minutes, but our lead wasn't that big. Like Michigan State understood how to stay in the game when we were winning. We then went away for the final five minutes of the first half and the first five minutes of the second half. And then the rest of the game was pretty even. So you've got a situation where he's exactly right. Ten round fight. Duke only showed up for seven of those rounds. And, and that was the difference in the, in the game. And he also pointed out, and I think this is very telling, he said, seven of our guys, seven of the players who played for Duke last night have never played in a game like this before. And then he noted every single player who stepped on the floor for Michigan State has been in a game like this before. So he really stressed experience as, as an explanation for some of what he saw. But again, he was, he was pretty optimistic about where Duke goes from here. Yeah, and, and just touching on that briefly, I think when you're talking about the way that Michigan State plays, as I mentioned, these games are always a battle physically. Last year was no, was, was no exception to that. We were talking about how these guys needed to uh, understand that this game was going to be physical. Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Well, we got punched in the face last night, and we didn't react well to that. And that's, that's that you learn from that. But I do think that this is a game that we can use to build on because next week we have Illinois coming to town, and Illinois plays the exact same kind of basketball as Michigan State does. Not as well the past few years, but this year they are rated just as highly. So we have to be ready for that. And in the ACC, you have these teams that want to be physical with us because they know it takes us off our game. We learned last night how to react to that. We didn't react the way we wanted to, but now we know how to do it moving forward. Donald mentioned before about how Goldwire said after the game that the team was a little stagnant in the second half, which got me thinking about leadership, which then gets me to an email we got this morning from a listener, Brian. I, I want to read it to you guys and then, and then get your reactions. He said, hey, guys, I didn't know what to make of Jason's concern in the season preview regarding a team captain not being selected for this team. Last night, I felt his concern appeared very legit. During the first 10 minutes of the second half, I kept wondering, who is the leader on this team? It felt like there was no one that they could turn to to help right the ship. I'm hoping that someone will step up as the season progresses, perhaps Hurt or Goldwire. But until that happens, I'm concerned about who will lead those moments when we need play to stop the bleeding. And then he finished with, thanks for everything you do. Practically my entire knowledge of this year's team came uh, from your analysis prior to the season. So we appreciate Brian uh, listening and and listening to us and what we have to say, which is insane for you, but regardless, we will answer the question. So Jason, I'll send it back to you. What are you, what are you seeing so far as it pertains to leadership from this Duke team? Look, when we, when we started talking about this, it was after, I believe it was after Chris Carowell's press conference uh, that I attended and, and a member of the media had asked him about it. And Carowell had said, yeah, we don't have a captain yet. And, and I said, gosh, I'm, I'm really bothered by this. This I hadn't really thought about, but this could be a real issue. Brian is dead on target. Uh, I think this is a real issue. And I mean, I wish I could say to you that I know the answer to it, but I don't think I do because we kept on hearing from the coaches and the players throughout the preseason. 
they, they would say, oh yeah, the, the experienced guys, the Joey Bakers, the Jordan Goldwires, the Matthew Hurts, the Wendell Moores, they're like, oh, those guys tend to lead by example more than, more than vocally. Um, and they said that like Henry Coleman is the guy who sort of leads vocally. Well, Henry Coleman is a freshman who's played maybe less than 30 seconds so far in two games. Um, I, I don't think it's appropriate for a freshman. I don't think it's appropriate for someone who's not playing very much to be made a captain. And, and here we have our four experienced players who, who are just not, it's, it's apparently, it's just not their personality. I don't know that this Duke team has a captain on it. And uh, someone's got to develop it. I, Coach K is a master of leadership. Uh, and maybe, maybe he and his lieutenants, his assistant coaches, can sort of fill that gap to some extent. But good gosh, I, I really hope someone is able to step up. I think Wendell Moore is the most likely candidate. Um, it's just that Wendell has started the season struggling so much offensively. Uh, you know, he's made a lot of turn. First game, he made a lot of turnovers. He didn't look comfortable. This game against Michigan State, 0 for 9 from the field. 0 for 9. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's rough. I don't know who the captain is. Guys, you, you guys have any idea? And uh, let me ask you all, because I'm the one who said I'm concerned about it. Is it essential for Duke to have a captain? I think it's essential for us to have a leader on the floor. It doesn't necessarily have to be the captain, but I want to know. And, and here's the thing that I look—I looked at a little bit last night when we were kind of down. When we're down in games like this, I always look to see when someone gets fouled and the teams kind of get together for a little huddle before the free throws. I look to see who's leading that huddle. In years past, we've always had one or two guys that have always been that guy. Last year, Trey Jones, it doesn't matter if Trey Jones on the floor or not. He was telling people, huddle up, or he was grabbing guys and pulling them into the huddle. Last night, the huddle was led by a different person every single time. Now, that could be, that necessarily isn't a bad thing, but it's one worth watching because I want to see on Friday if we have some spurts where we're not hitting shots or we're having a bad lapse on defense who's pulling people into the huddle, who's asserting themselves, who's making that leadership known. I think that is where we will start to see that blossom. And it, it must be, it must be that as of right now, no one has made that, that push yet to be the guy. No one gets handed captain. You earn it. You assert yourself and say, this is what I want to do. I want to lead this team. I want to see who wants to lead this team. And I think hopefully we'll get some answers on Friday night. I'll take it a step further, Donald, and say that I am more in agreement with Jason that there does need to be defined leadership and those guys need to step up and, and, and do it. It, it. it can't come from everybody and it doesn't have to come from everybody. It's not effective that way. It's sort of the, the old saying about if you, have, if you have two quarterbacks, you actually have no quarterbacks. You, you, you need one quarterback. You need, you need a defined leader who is going to, to run the show in that way and, and keep everybody focused when things get tough. So we'll see if, if any of, of the guys on this team develop that way. It could be, as we've said, there are, there are four returning players who, who've played good minutes for Duke who could all take the reins. Jordan Goldwire is a, is a senior scholarship player. I mean, that sort of thing should be, the leadership should be emanating from him at all times. So I, I think it is a concern and, and something we're going to keep watching. Look, the fact that the fact that it's not Jordan Goldwire, the fact that he wasn't named captain almost in the preseason for a four year senior, a returning starter. It's, I mean, that's an aberration and, and I don't, I'm not blaming Jordan Goldwire. Different guys have different personalities, but I, I don't, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think Jordan Goldwire is going to be that because it's so natural that he should be that if he's not it already, I don't think it's ever going to happen for him. Last thing I'll say on this, Goodness gracious, do we miss Trey Jones? I mean, whew, 
you don't know what you've what you had until it's gone. I especially missed him when Lawyer was on the court, and I was like, man, I really wish Trey was here to just cross him over and then basically lay in and step on his chest and get the foul called on him. We really needed something like that last night. That moment was great. <laughs> he does look good in a Spurs uniform, though. You guys saw those social media posts. My goodness. Trey I Jones. did. I, I, I'm very high on, on Trey Jones as, a, as Trey. an NBA prospect. Yeah, we, we, we do miss him a lot. It turns out, turns out we really liked him, and we really loved him and really needed him. But... We don't have him anymore. What we do have are basketball and football games this weekend. But before we get into those, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll tell you all about Duke's football game coming up against Miami and their basketball game against Bellarmine. Stick around. So as we mentioned before the break, we've got a football game this weekend. We've got at least one basketball game. Maybe we have two basketball games this weekend. We don't know yet. COVID has rendered the situation somewhat fluid, as it has done to everything and everyone so far this year. So the original plan is that Duke is going to be hosting the Mako Medical Duke Classic, honoring Dr. Anye Akwari this weekend. We know that Duke is still going to be playing Bellarmine on Friday night. That as of now, is still happening. Elon was going to be Duke's opponent on Sunday, but they are out now due to COVID protocol. Howard and Bellarmine are playing as part of the same event at Howard's house in in Washington, D.C. Will Duke get to play Howard in addition? We don't know. Is Duke going to schedule another game? We don't know. Is Duke ever going to reschedule their game against Gardner-Webb? We haven't heard anything. So, Jason, I'll give it to you. What is the latest on all of this? And if you... If you do know anything, what can we expect from Duke's game against Bellarmine on Friday? So the latest on all the COVID stuff is, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows how any of this is going to play it's out. It's best not to know at this point. Yeah, we're, right, exactly. We're, we're speaking at, at about 3.30 on Wednesday afternoon. The Steelers-Ravens game is going on right now. Like when, <laughs> when was the last time there was an NFL game on a Wednesday? Preempted by a tree lighting. Can't be, I mean, can't be 2020 at this point. Who knows, man? Anyway, putting the COVID craziness aside, we are scheduled to face Bellarmine this weekend. For the last 11 seasons, Bellarmine has been in the NCAA tournament every year. Sorry, that's the NCAA Division II tournament. They have now, for the first time, moved up, and they're playing in Division I. Uh, this is one of the Division II powers. I mean, like I said, they've made the past 11 Division II tournaments. They've made seven Sweet 16s in the past 11 years, four Final Fours. They won a national title but it's a big jump up in quality to be coming into the uh, NCAA Division I. They, they've joined the Atlantic Sun Conference, and the coaches picked them to finish eighth out of nine teams in the Atlantic Sun. The media picked them to finish ninth out of nine. I do want to talk a little bit about what kind of a team Bellarmine is, because I think it's really interesting. You're going to see something different than what you usually see. This team is all about speed. They push the ball up the floor as fast as they can, and they attack the basket. These are guys that the second the ball goes through the hoop, when you score, as far as they're concerned, they are rushing the other way as quickly as possible to get those points back. They are a good three-point shooting team. They hit almost 40% of their threes last year, but they're not one of those teams that jacks up a lot of threes. Don't think that this is Loyola Marymount shooting a three every time they get the ball. They only average about 19 three-point attempts per game. 
uh, just for perspective, so far this year, Duke has shot 25 three-pointers per game this season. So at 19, you know, they, they shoot it when they're open, but they're not like always shooting threes. They do try to maximize their efficiency by getting to the rack. This is a team that passes the ball really well, shares the ball really well, and drives to the hoop. That is what they do. In terms of a couple names, just so you know who to pay attention to, their best player, their top returning scorer is junior guard Dylan Penn. He's six foot three. Um, he is also their assist leader. Not a lot of a shooter. He, only about 25% of his threes does he hit. This is one of those guys who likes to take the ball to the hoop. Um, their shooter is a, a senior guard, CJ Fleming, who hit 40% of his threes last year. Um, and, and look, as with any smaller school that Duke plays, the story of the game is likely to be their challenge with Duke's size. Bellarmine won't play anyone who's above six foot seven. Their best big man is six seven uh, Pedro Bradshaw. He's really more of a wing. He's not a post player. This is not a team where they're going to you know set up guys in the post. I suspect you'll see them play five guys out on the perimeter with lots of cutting, um, uh, lots of penetrating, and that's sort of how they try and and play with the ball. Uh, in terms of how they defend Duke, especially the bigger, more athletic players. I, I don't know how they do it. I'm looking, the thing I'm hoping we'll see from Duke this weekend, better offensive execution, not as many turnovers, and better shooting. It shouldn't be a difficult game. My bet is Duke will be a 30-plus point favorite. Uh, but look, we were a 35-point favorite against Coppin State, and we you know, only won by 10. It's time for this team to start putting together better offensive performances, though. Um, that's just been too much of a problem for us in our first two games. And this may be a good place to get better because they're going to play with Duke likes to play with pace. Bellerman is going to play into that pace. They, they, they enjoy that too. So this may, I think this is going to be an up and down game. I won't be at all surprised if you see, you know, both teams in the eighties, nineties, you know, I, I, I bet you're going to see 160 plus points scored in this game. And it's an opportunity for Duke, hopefully to play with a few different lineups. Obviously, as you mentioned, Bellerman is small. That doesn't, preclude Duke from going big against them and trying to just overwhelm them with size. So maybe we see more of the the big men who've only gotten to play limited minutes so far this season. We don't know what Coach K is thinking. We've also seen two different starting lineups so far this year, neither of which have been the exact starting lineup that we expected to see going into the season. So perhaps we're going to see another starting lineup and and more uh, mix up in the in, in kind of the, the rotation throughout this game. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing a little bit more experimenting. Donald, anything further on the Bellarmine game this weekend? Yeah, I think, you know, this is a good time to work on that physicality we just talked, you know, 20 minutes about. Because if we're going to have a small, if we're going up against a small lineup and they're a team that, as Jason said, is, you know, likes to run and likes to be, you know, have pace, the way to slow someone down is to make them tired. And the way to make them tired is by banging on them in the post until they no longer feel like they can run up and down the floor with reckless abandon. So, you know, again, using some of our big, big guys off the bench and really keeping that going because one, we can work on those two. Our efficiency has been, you know, not great this year on offense. The best way to do that is to improve the efficiency inside the paint. That's where you're going to get a lot of points. So if we can improve on that, I think we have a good chance of really running away with this ball game, but really also taking them out of their game. That's the most important thing. Duke has always been a team that tries to take the other team out of their game and play Duke basketball where we excel at. We can do that against Bellarmine. And if we can do that, it'll be hopefully a nice, nice victory on Friday night.
So Duke has another game and another sport that we sometimes talk about here this weekend, and I wanted to send it back to Donald because he is our resident expert on Miami football, among a variety of other topics. Donald Wine, real renaissance man, especially when it comes to sports. Duke has had a number of changes to the football schedule this weekend. So first, Donald, because I don't entirely understand them, I would love for you to tell me all the scheduling issues that went into the final decision to have Duke play Miami this weekend. And then if you wouldn't mind, sir, telling us a little bit about the Miami football team that Duke will be facing on Saturday. Certainly. So to catch up real quick, you're probably looking at your schedule saying, yo, Sam, you're wrong. We're playing Florida State on Saturday, and we were supposed to play Florida State on Saturday. But because Florida State had COVID problems within their program, they were pulled. Now, Miami, who is just recovering from their own COVID problems, was going to play Wake Forest, who Duke was going to play last uh, a couple weekends ago. Wake still has problems. So now Miami was looking for a game, and the ACC was actively searching for them to figure out how to play because they had already postponed and rescheduled three games. Enter Duke. Duke, now having no game against Florida State, they paired us against Miami. Now, you're probably wondering what's happening to that Florida State game. We will now play Florida State next weekend on the 12th. The final regular season game uh, for us will be Florida State. I do not think, uh, I, I'm pretty sure they are not rescheduling that weight game that was supposed to go happen a couple of weeks ago. So the next and final game will be Florida State. Now, to Miami. Miami is a team that is very, very good. They have some tendencies to play down to their opponent, which really helps us. But at the same time, if really the ball is going to center around Derek King, Derek King transfer from Houston uh, has been their starter. He's had a couple of times where a Kosi Perry may come in, but for the most part, you're going to see Derek King behind center. Cameron Harris is a guy that is a, a punishing runner. He, he doesn't like to, he's not going on long runs. He has one long run at 75 yards, but most of it is just ground and pound for him. He does lead their team in rushing, but Derek King also runs the ball. He's the second leading rusher on the team. Where Derek King can excel is if he gets the ball out to his wide receivers who are very fast. Mike Harley, Mark Pope, D Wiggins, Brevin Jordan. Those guys are, are guys that can go, go, go. Brevin Jordan, the tight end, a guy who can also block as well. So you're going to see Miami throw a lot of offensive sets at us to try and, and figure and figure out where our holes are going to be. The key to stopping the offense is to contain them. That means that our defensive ends who have been very good all year and Victor Dimikaji and Chris Rumpf, those guys are going to need to be on their game. They're the two best, uh, two of the three best defensive ends in all of the ACC. They're going to need to play like that. The other thing that you need to worry about on Miami is special teams. Jose Borregales is their leading scorer. He can kick the ball and hit it from literally anywhere on the field. So if they're across midfield, they are in danger of scoring because this guy can kick a ton. So we have to make sure that we, if we have three and outs, we have to get them off the field. Third down, don't make it fourth and short or something like that. Get Miami's offense off the field so that our offense can come in. And really on offense for us, the turnover chain should not be present on Saturday. That is the goal. We, we lead the nation in interceptions. Miami clearly likes to take them away. Since the turnover chain debuted four years ago, they lead the nation in takeaways. Pretty, I mean, it makes sense. If you have a prize, you're going to go get the football. 
we need to make sure that that stays in that suitcase that they have on the sidelines, because if it pops out, that is all the momentum that they need for their offense to shine. So limit the turnovers, make sure we take care of the football on offense and just move the ball down the field, not give up big plays on, on defense and just contain them. Because if we can do that, Miami is ripe for the taking. Yes. I know they're 10th in the country. Yes. I know that they are in contention for the ACC championship game and even an outside remote chance at the playoff, but they are also a team that can be beat. So it'd be great to do that. It's a tall task for our team, given how we've played this year, but we've had a week to kind of settle down after that Georgia tech game. Let's see if we can come out firing on Saturday. Look, you're you're talking about a team in Miami that loves to get turnovers and you're talking about a team in Duke that loves to turn the ball over. (laughs) <laughs> that's the major battle right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't see this. I don't see this going well for us. Uh, you mentioned the one thing I wanted to note, which, which is that this is a significant game because Miami still has a very real shot at the ACC title game. They have only one loss on the season. It was a loss to Clemson. Um, Clemson also has one loss. Now I don't think Clemson's going to lose again, but if crazy things happen, if somehow Clemson loses a game, um, you know, Clemson's, they're, they're playing Virginia Tech. It's not like Virginia Tech is, uh, you know, abysmally bad. So if Clemson manages to lose that game, then Miami suddenly finds themselves in the ACC championship game. So they are still playing for something that matters. And uh, so Duke, frankly, isn't really playing for anything that matters. We're just playing for pride and trying to show that we belong on the field with teams like this, the way we did when we played Notre Dame. I mean, when you look at Notre Dame, one of the teams probably going to make the playoff. One of their closest games of the year, one of their best games of the year was the game they played against Duke. So we're capable of it if we hold on to the damn football. We will see if all of that transpires this weekend. And of course, we will be tuned into it and talking about it on the next episode of this podcast. And I know before we wrap up that we're not doing player of the week because we're going to wait until the weekend to to actually wrap for the week. But Jason's got a parting shot for us today. Go for it, Jason. Yeah, so Rover.com. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Rover.com. It is sort of a dog and pet kind of place. Rover.com has come out with the names, the most popular dog names for this year. And I was dying to see, this has just been announced. I was dying to see if Cameron, my dog is named Cameron. I wanted to see if Cameron was one of the top 100 dog names. I am bummed to report that Cameron is not among the top 100 dog names. Can I take a guess why you brought this up? Please go ahead. Is one of the top dog names Zion? Oh, I haven't even checked that. Hold on. <laughs> no, I have, heard from, I have heard from multiple friends saying they're going to name dog Zion. So. Zion is not one of the top 100 dog names, but wow, that's a good name. I, I, no, I brought it up because the number eight name is Duke. Duke is one of the top dog names. My mother had a dog named Duke. This is after I went to Duke. She didn't name it because of me, but I was thrilled with it. She had a dog named Duke. Duke is the number eight male dog name. And I brought it up because Sam, Sam is the 62nd most popular dog name. Sam, you dog you. I've always thought that Sam was more of a grandfather's name than a dog name, but here we are. I think we will leave it there. So as I said, we'll be back this weekend to recap whatever games Duke plays in. And if Duke doesn't play in games, we'll talk about why, because that's just how the season is going. So for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 256 
of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Don't forget to email us, Duke Basketball or DBRpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's DBRpodcast at gmail.com. Rate and review, et cetera, et cetera. You know the drill at this point. Duke fan, take us home.